and welcome to an episode of the Nintendo RTM Podcast. I am Triforce Todd, and joining me today is Wario Will. I must say, this is just quite a famous numbered episode, first of all, noise, and secondly, happy Mario Day, everybody, to think that we actually record uh, a podcast on a Mario Day of all coincidence is just kind of flattering in a sense, especially on this number. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done that before. I, I don't remember like the last like March 10th. I mean, when when did March 10th ever fall on Thursday? Last I checked in the past few years, I don't I know. I don't know. I do not know. And also here is Tyus Tyler. Guys, I just want everybody to know that I'm podcasting <laughs> through the pain today. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest Sixers game in in recent history. They're getting blown out by the Nets. Ben Simmons is laughing at us. And I'm here. I'm podcasting through it. Just Some will call me a hero. Others <laughs> not. But I think you should call me a hero. Oh, oh Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. I was going to make a joke here, but you're already suffering enough. Uh, also, here is Skull Kit. Oh, wait. No, he's not. Yes, because after five weeks of having Skull Kit Scott on the show because of Arceus and Nintendo Directs, then Pokemon Directs and everything in between, we finally kicked him off the show! <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, I mean, four people is great, but it's really busy. No, we're joking. Uh, he honestly didn't come because uh, we're going to be talking a lot about Triangle Strategy. And unlike a certain someone who didn't get Pokemon Legends Arceus, we decided we wanted everyone in the conversation who played it. So he's going to be taking a week or two. Uh, we'll, we will have him back on. He's really fun. And uh, hope more than likely we'll have a big topic to bring him back on soon enough. So, but it will just be us three OG hosts. And we're not, not going to get started with what you have been playing because we've been playing the same thing. So Tyler, take it away. Yes, uh, we've all been playing Triangle Strategy, and I am so excited to actually have a game that the three of us can all discuss. I I think, you can check my Mac, math on this, but I'm pretty sure the last game we all got was New Pokemon Snap, and I wasn't available pretty much the entire month of May to discuss it. Oh, that's right, so you were out. Even before that, like, Smash Bros. might be the last big release, or Fire Emblem Three Houses might be the last big release that we all got. Right, right, uh, like it. right. Because one of us didn't. Who didn't get dread? Will, I didn't. I didn't know. Will no. didn't get dread. I didn't get WarioWare. Um, I didn't. Get, we didn't get Travis X again. I was the only Skyward Sword guy. <laughs> yeah. You didn't get golf. No, I didn't and get then, golf. Yeah, the, there was one that I, you guys got that I didn't get. Anyway. Yeah. This so, is just a joyous occasion. It's a, right, it's a right, great right. to share a game that we all really like. <laughs> uh, that being said, Pokemon Arceus has kind of taken all of our collective imaginations. And Not me. <laughs> yeah, we know. That's true, except for you, Will. But we didn't talk too much leading up to Triangle Strategy about why this game matters and why we were so excited for it. Uh, so I just want to give everybody a little bit of background about this game and why Nintendo fans should care. First of all, it's made by Team Asano, who is a Square Enix, uh, I guess, sub-developer that pretty much exclusively makes Switch games, right? They've made Bravely Default on the 3DS all the way up through Triangle Strategy. Uh, their past five projects have been Nintendo exclusive. So this is like a deep tie, and I think we can expect more games from them in the future. Uh, their games are all marked by beautiful art styles that take place in medieval settings, most notably the HD 2D style that debuted with Octopath Traveler and has kind of become a staple at Square. You can look at Dragon Quest III's being remade in this style. Live Alive is coming out in an HD 2D uh, style. So this kind of art style is here to stay, and it's it's very cool for people who love you know that SNES aesthetic with an HD touch. And hopefully, 
eventually we would get Chrono Trigger remade in this art style. Because no, that, that wouldn't suck. That yeah, wouldn't suck. Everybody would want that. Uh, also, Team Asano's games are very good. Uh, Bravely Default had an 85 on Metacritic. Uh, Bravely Second, 81. Octopath Traveler, an 83. And currently, Triangle Strategy is sitting at an 82, which I think is a little low. So mm. I want to start our discussion there. Both of you guys just take like a minute, 90 seconds. How are you feeling about the game so far? Just general thoughts. I mean, personally for me, I like I just kind of want to get back into it. Like the first few, yeah. like first weekend, I was just completely absorbed. It just, yeah, it, it really is that quite uh, absorbing game that you just want to know what happens next. So that, that's just my initial first impressions. And again, you want to keep it 90 seconds. So yeah, that's my 90 seconds. I'm going to take longer than 90 seconds because I'm going to complain about my life. Tyler did it before, now it's my turn. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get Triangle Strategy until late Friday, which usually is fine, because I was trying to get all my work done. But I got a review copy from Keith, our boss. He accidentally sent me the wrong code. So I was trying to make this work, and it just wasn't working. So I was like, okay, I'm going to download the demo, because i got to play it tonight. And right as the demo finished, he popped in with the correct code. I'm like, oh, perfect. So then I upload it. I play for an hour. Saturday was completely shot because I had a family member's birthday party to go to, and then we went right from that to the Batman. Uh, oh, Tyler, you want to know, know what I gave the Batman? A 4.5 out of 5? Incorrect! I gave it 3.5. Uh, oh, wow. I know. It, I, I, hot take, but whatever. That's another podcast. Folks, he hated it. No. Well, no. Uh, but I, I've honestly only played about eight hours, and it's been a week. And remember, I'm the guy who usually beats the games before these two. All right, that's literally my job, is I usually review these games, and so I have to beat them quickly so that I can review them. I haven't been able to do that with Triangle Strategy. I'm only out Chapter 6 right now. About, I'm about to do a very key battle, and I'm loving it for the most part. Um, it's definitely different from Octopath, and there's a lot of things that I am enjoying. There's some things I don't, but that's just the nature of games. Um, but I'm just mad at myself that I'm not further. Tyler is like twice where I am right now. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of this podcast. Like in the games that we it both have played. Hasn't. In the games that we have played, obviously, together. So, but like, I'm usually the one who's always ahead, like begging these two to get catch up. And here I am trying to catch up and failing because my life just won't let me play my video game. Come on, man. <laughs> okay. See, I, I feel it now, Tyler. This is why you were complaining about the 76ers. This is cathartic. It's cathartic. <laughs> but overall, I'm enjoying the game so far, as little as I have played. Yeah, I, I'm definitely loving it so far as well. As you said, I'm like, I'm a little bit more than halfway through uh, my <laughs> first playthrough of the game. And I love the art style. I love the tactics. And I think that the story kind of starts out really slow. But then it, it kind of picks mm. up. Uh, the characters are a little bit bland. At least at first, there's not a ton of depth to them, and I don't love the writing. Uh, but the political intrigue and the Game of Thrones of it all, mm. I think, Very. is actually really successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like the, just um, that initial intrigue. Of course, obviously, the setup and all that, but... As I said, it, it is very much a very Game of Thrones, just like the whole political discourse, the, the different houses, and like again, the inner working minds. Because like when you put out the profile, it's just like, oh, is this person evil? Oh, this guy looks evil. Sure enough, but yeah, it's just it has that hook of just wanting like, yeah, who's gonna backstab who, and like how you're gonna navigate these 
um, political time period. So yeah, it's quite it's quite the story. It's quite the story. I the really... way the scales of conviction factor into those decisions also is really cool. So if yeah, people haven't played the demo, yeah, 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 I think I think it's probably a good time to. Talk no, about I, just, I, haven't, I haven't got to talk about my thoughts on the story, Tyler. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. No, I, I'm liking it. Even though I'm I'm only in chapter six, I've enjoyed it. I liked the slow burn approach to the story, unlike what happened in Batman. Ugh! But uh, <laughs> um, I liked it because usually games like this, whether they be like Octopath, Fire Emblem, that kind of thing, there are times they'll just like throw you into it and like, expect you to catch up. Like, oh, there just happens to be this giant church in the middle of the kingdom. Like, okay, fine. Uh, but with this one, you learn to the players, and then everything goes to heck in a handbasket. You know, like you learn, like okay, this person is good despite their family absolutely sucking, or you know, these people are loyal to this one, but this one clearly has issues, and yada yada. And then by the time everything starts to fall apart, you're like, okay, I can understand the players. And then the I the, I like how they have the whole there's the main uh, story beats, and then there's the side story beats that expand the world. You don't have to go to the side ones; it doesn't add anything technically but you get the points of the finer elements a very george rr R. martin ironically enough of everything is connected even if you don't see it happening at the time so uh, and again i'm still very young into the game technically so i look forward to seeing how the story evolves over time yeah the the side stories are really cool also because they usually appear before you i mean there's a lot of them but yeah they generally will appear right around a time where you have to make a choice of one path or another and they give you a little bit of insight into what each path will hold so the way that the story progresses in the, in this game it's kind of a branching story instead of just picking like like most RPGs, the player can just choose what they want to do. In this one, the player actually doesn't have control over what happens. The party members will hold a vote before key decisions are made. So in the very beginning of the game, uh, you have to choose, do you want to travel to the kingdom of Hyzant, where like this goddess is worshipped and it's like everybody is quote-unquote equal in the society, although there's a darker underbelly that you kind of discover. Or do you Much like the Esperance? cake, it's a lie. Oh, yeah, it's a major lie. It's a lie. lie. It's a major lie. Yeah. Or do you want to go to the kingdom of Esfros, which is, like, like immediately, like, more militant and cold, and mm -hmm. it, it's a society where the ruler is all about freedom, liberty, uh, and the way he goes about that might not totally match up with, no. you know, that ideal, but instead of picking which one you want to go to, your party members will all vote. You can influence their vote by talking to other characters during these exploration phases where you walk around your town or some uh, like deserts. Like you, you get to go and explore and learn new things about the world and use what you learn to persuade people towards the side that you are leaning to. So it sounds like, okay, you know, that's a cool system, but you know, I, I would like to be able to control exactly where I go. Well, generally you can. You can look up a guide online and figure out how to persuade certain people. But Where's I the fun in that? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of options to uh, kind of control where you want to go. But I actually had a vote where the thing that I wanted to have happen didn't happen. I actually lost the vote. Uh -huh. And that's actually kind of like part of the magic of the game is saying, oh, this isn't what I wanted, but I'm going to roll with the punches and I'm going to see what the consequences are. And the mm -hmm. consequences feel that much more real when, you know, it feels like everybody has a say in what's going on. You really have this kind of sense of camaraderie with your team. I, I'm a huge fan of the Scales of Conviction. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, like, it definitely adds on something to it. Like, 
in, that's also one thing as well because like whatever what kind of information you do discover in each town and city and also it contributes into your persuasion but here's the thing even though it unlocks a third option regarding to your persuasion it may not necessarily be the correct uh detail to explain for your persuasion it could actually be the, the complete opposite yeah. that, that's what i like about it with my recent decisions and as I said, like the skills conviction is is like this old saying goes in Star Wars. I love democracy. <laughs> it's yeah. just like okay, like you want to go here, you want to go and try to pr- prove your point, but with the best you can, out for two or three choices, and yeah, just like let like wherever it goes is just the choices and hearing like each of your party members like what they think, the thought process of of the situation is it, it definitely adds that more depth of like of these characters i mean sure it may, it may not be too complex like ethical rpg standards but it really does give that extra depth to it that you expect it's it's definitely interesting and again i'm, I'm still young in the game i've only had two scales of conviction so far the the one that tyler mentioned and then the one from the original demo which we can talk about as it's not a spoiler <laughs> uh in the game crown prince roland is uh in danger and you have to decide what to do for the betterment of your kingdom you can either give him to Esfrost and try and stop a war from happening, even though you can basically know that's not going to be the case, or you defend him and then you're playing a siege warfare against a much larger force and you're just trying to survive. So it's very, it's a very deep decision. And as Tyler recalled from the uh, very first demo, the missions you get depending on your choice is huge mm, it's mm, because mm. one you have roland you're defending yourself and then the one you don't have roland you're doing something else entirely and then high zant and uh ace frost mission one you go you go to two entirely different nations and even though i've never played the ace frost side i would assume that it's a very different thing that you're doing there so and that, that's just the first two scales i know there's going to be more including one about it because it's from the character trailer about uh frederica's people and what you do with them and there's another choice about gaining an ally but at the cost of doing some black market deals uh, seeing where the branching goes and how it leads to certain characters doing certain things which was also teased in the character trailers is fascinating to me because that means it's a non-linear story and your choices and which is something we'll, we'll talk about soon uh, no doubt your choices and how you talk to people influence what you can and cannot influence in these scales of conviction talks, like you'll get notices that say, I would have better luck talking to a stone wall. Right. <laughs> right you right, really right. aren't going to be able to convince this person or you'll get, I think they'll be able to listen to reason or this person will listen to me at the very least. You know, it's that difference where if you don't have, if you haven't built yourself up the right way, if you will, with your choices and how you talk to people, it'll affect what you can and can't do in the scales. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. 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 And just to add on to that is like, Anything that you do in this game, it will add to your skills of conviction. For example, like where you buy buy items, talking to the people, or like even just go doing your the mental battles, it, it will influence your skills of conviction, as, as you would see on the top right corner. Like yes, this it further uh, strengthens your conviction. Right, right. Yeah, I, I will say the conviction system is really cool, but I don't like that it's hidden. Like mm-hmm. there are there are three principles that like drive your character. There are three quote unquote conviction stats that you have, and that that's liberty, morality, and utility. Utility is basically figuring out like what's the greater good, quote unquote. Right, morality is yeah, yeah. obviously right and wrong, and liberty is more like just free will and 
kind of situation. And you can't track what your stats are for each of them. I actually think that you can in New Game Plus. I read that somewhere. But it's frustrating in the beginning because you actually can recruit other characters. They'll just freely join your party based on your choices, based on your convictions. So I wish that I could kind of see where I was at and if I should take some utility choices to boost my utility score so I can recruit X character. That would be cool if they showed it to you. Uh, but I kind of see why they didn't, because it does add to that customization of this really feels like your story. It's easy to put yourself in the shoes of Saranoa and feel like the choices that you are making, only you would make. And no other player has that same exact experience that you do. I will say some of the choices are a little black and white. Like there's like some some obvious like <laughs> utility choices that you're like, okay, that's like a stretch. Like that's way too far in like ignoring what's right and wrong. Uh, but for the most part, I think you can always make a compelling argument one way or the other for these, and that's that's just so important in a in a game that's narratively uh, driven like this. <laughs> for I'm me, up... oh sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. for me, one of the things that I honestly try to do is when I get one of those uh, three bracketed dialogue options, I read through every one and I try and <laughs> guess which one's morality, which one's liberty, and which one's utility. And at times, it's honestly kind of hard to tell. <laughs> which is yeah. why I, which is why I have to go with my gut. Like, there was a there was a kid we I met in a, a village and he goes, I can't I can't ever leave the village. You know, mom's protecting oh, me okay, too okay, much. Okay, okay. And I'm like, how should I how should I phrase this to the kid? And I'm like, you know, I want to be nice to the kid. So I'm like, listen, listen to your mother right now. And then when you get old enough to leave, I will personally guide you around the crown city or whatever. Uh, and I'm like, and I'm like, that would, that would, I would do that, you know, but I'm like, you got to listen to your mother now so that when you're ready, you know, that, you know, you did everything right. And I thought that was cool. But then other ones were like, you know, your mother's just trying to protect you. You should just listen to her. And I'm like, that's true, but it doesn't, I don't think that'll get the kid to do it. You know? <laughs> right, right, you know, right, It's, right, it's right. the carrot, the stick, and then whatever the third option is, the foot or whatever. Funny enough as well, like for that combo, I, I said like, it's because your mother deeply cares about you. Yeah. So it's best to listen to her. I mean, like, I, I would chose that option. Like, I would, I guide you myself. But again, I'm a prince. Like, I won't keep, I, there's no promises. So I don't want to come as too grandiose of a, of a general king because again there are only certain things you can do as a king yeah. to as, as a prince to help and, around and that right there shows the differences between me and will i don't mean that in a bad way but like i wanted to go for the nicer option while he's thinking of things and the more i'm a prince and that's the fun of the game is that you know you will show your personality by the choices you make so yeah yeah i, I no, i will say i wish saranoa was a little bit more of a blank slate I'm not usually a huge fan of Avatar characters, but he doesn't have a ton of personality, and he is extremely goody two-shoes, as is his betrothed, Frederica, as, and Benedict is not really a goody two-shoes, but you always believe that his heart is in the right place. The And Roland is the same way, he's like the prince of the kingdom, and they all they're like the four main characters, and none of them have the depth that I would like to see in such a narratively driven game, especially one that takes as much inspiration as this does from Game of Thrones, where every character, except for Jon Snow, had shades of gray in their <laughs> personality. Like, no matter what you choose, you're not going to be, like, the bad guy. You can't really take things that far. You're always, there's always some rationale for your decisions, and the way that Saranoa speaks, he just, he doesn't totally represent, he doesn't totally represent what I'm thinking. During during the game, what do you, how do you guys feel about the characters? Mm, like 
as I said, it's definitely very tropish in a, in a sense because again, it is JRPG, and again, Serena, Federica, and Benedict, and Ro- Roland. Just like you already know, Benedict is that like that steward who's like again been in the household for generations and would do whatever needs to be done, even if it means going to the dark side. But he knows he always has the the house interest at, at the top of his priority. While like again, Federica. Uh, heart-based much more emotional and Serenova himself is again a young prince just came off from like coming off a legacy of lord simon and just like is trying to do what's best i mean as i said there isn't that um element of like yeah this will put me it's like uh why am i doing this i feel so evil like i feel so bad for doing this but for the sake of my kingdom i mean unless you you burn that town in that avora fight but it's it definitely has that sense of like, yeah, it's a bit too good to choose. But again, I I don't think Square Enix was trying to go for like, yeah, this is something you will feel like morally uh, disputed. I mean, it's not like the line that like spec ops the line like in which your actions like you you there is something you you have to question. But it's like, am I what am I what I'm doing is right? It's not like that spec ops line uh, story. I, th- I think that. And he, and he used a good reference with Game of Thrones, but I would take it for this perspective. Triangle strategy would have been what would have... Well, sorry. Triangle strategy is what Game of Thrones would have been if Ned Stark didn't die in season one. Because <laughs> Ned, Ned yes, had no gray. Ned had no gray. And the, the dirtiest thing he did was saying that Jon Snow was his son. And he did that to protect his sister. Um, but everything else was, I'm loyal to my king, I'm loyal to my kingdom, and I'm. he even tried to give Cersei a way out so that she and her kids didn't die. He, she and Joffrey didn't deserve that kindness, but he gave it anyway. Um, I, I know why you're going this direction, and especially after Octopath Traveler, where we had characters with kind of darker mm-hmm. backstories or even more grim personalities in a way, um, this one is a little bit more basic but it's also i find that intriguing in the way because these are i'll just uh boil it down to frederica and uh, sarah noah these are two people who were told you know you're the beacons that are going to light us into the next generation you know the marriage was supposed to be this that or the other thing but then they realize that the quote-unquote altruistic reason is none of the above they're even told that by sarah noah's father and yet they're trying to be these lights into the world even when everything else is going dark, they refuse to bend to the gray, to the darkness. And like, that's how I'm going to take my path when, with some of the cho- choices I'm pretty sure I know are coming because I, I would want them to maintain their light. Like when we offer, uh, or Benedict, I think offers, we we might have to consider giving up Roland. She goes, there is no uh, good option where one of us has to sacrifice ourselves." And I believed her because that is the character she is. She would not, especially given that her own people are trying to destroy everything. She w- she doesn't want to lose a single other person for any reason, no matter how altruistic or beneficial it may be. So it is playing things a little basic, especially compared to something like Game of Thrones. But they're playing it in a way where they're the lights being trying to get influenced by all this darkness. And they're trying to maintain that purity even when it's extremely hard. And I find, I find, uh, what's the word? I find complexity and creativity in that. It's kind of funny as well, given the, our current time period as well. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just like, as you said, uh, Todd, like 
like sure it may be a little bit on the idealistic side of things like how Cyrano and Federica are as I said trying to become like beacons of hope and for, for the newer generation even though what everything around the of three nations is basically trying to say trying to bring everything down and bring everybody to like ruin but as I said like sure idealistic but I think that's kind of like what this game is going for because again this is like that hope that that hope of like this conflict in a sense and, and to you tyler you're the farthest of all of us but you still got a set, a set of chapters to go and you don't know where it's going to turn so and and i remember at the character trailer there's one where benedict betrays everybody because of the decisions of sarah noah and then another where frederica goes i am frederica of what's her people's name Roselle? Ros- yeah, Roselle. Oh, no, the Roselle. Roselle yeah, yeah. I, I am Federica the Roselle, and my people will not abide by the scales of conviction. There is something you do to make her betray you, or to make yes. you make her leave, and that's compelling. So there is a breaking For sure. point. For sure. The, the further you get in the game, the more of those tensions start to, in like, they, they, the tensions start to rise. Like, Benedict, it's funny, because I, when I think of myself in real life, I kind of would think that my, like, I'd be more on the liberty and the utility trait, and then the reality is I never pick the utility trait. I am always opposed to Benedict. And during one of my recent decisions, he was like clearly disappointed in the path that we chose, that I had swayed people to choose. So it is cool how that develops. And what's more intriguing is how good Benedict is for me in battle. I love mm-hmm. having him on my team. So I'm seeing him kind of become isolated from me and disapprove of my lordliness and I'm wondering when is that shoe gonna fall, or will it ever? Fall? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that's that's um, pretty pretty intriguing. So yeah, the story the story is definitely solid. But I, as much as I enjoy it, I think that the combat might even be might even be better. Mm-hmm. Like I love the tactics in this game. Every character compared to other strategy RPGs that I've played, like Fire Emblem, every character in this game fits into a box, and they have a skill set that mm-hmm. is clearly defined like you understand immediately what this character is supposed to be and it's up to you to figure out how to use them as best as you possibly can i know that that's basic and that's what a strategy rpg should strive to do but this game excels in that in that field i there are times that i'll bring somebody to a battle who's like level seven going up against level 18 just because they have this one trait that i know i can hide them behind my front lines and i can use that trait to my advantage in in battle uh, the the, uh, the the options that you have and the team building that you can do is I- incredibly customizable, despite every character being extremely specific in what mm-hmm, they do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like I, I pretty much agree on that. Like because you you you're so used to an RPG like in Fire Emblem, like yeah, okay, who's gonna be like. Like you want each character have to be like their own unique character. It's like not just putting on a simple job. It's like, oh, this is my lance cavalier. This is my flyer. This is my sniper. Like it, you don't want like those kind of RPGs. Like while Fire Emblem has done that very good, there is that sense like it, it, it loses that individuality. But here in here in uh, in Triangle Strategy, like yeah, as you said, they're specific. Like oh, sh- like Anna's my thief. Is my my purebred ninja. She, she can go behind enemy lines. Oh, uh, Archibald is my sniper. Slow but deadly as a sniper. Like yeah, it just has that sense. Like th- this is who they are. This is what they've been doing their entire lives. And like, all, is the only way to continue on is with your team of like using them. Of yeah, I'm gonna use my my fire mage, my white mage, my my dedicated healer, my uh, my the one that uses the the medic that uses a long arm throw. It's just like yeah, 
these these characters have a specific role. They have the specific skills that will aid their battle one way or another. And that that's just one thing I, I like about it. Is like these are the characters that are very unique in, them, in themselves, not just a simple uh, character type. Like oh, like I put them in this job class and so forth. Yeah, for me it's it's interesting because uh, I've honestly, to my knowledge, I've never played a game like this. I never played the original Final Fantasy Tactics or the remastered or whatever. Um, and if I, ha- I mean, even Fire Emblem, you know, it never goes this deep. Like, there's no, like, tag teaming where you can hit a person from front and behind at the same time. That's really cool. That's an awesome strategy you should always try to exploit. And then, of course, there's the, there's the ranged attacks. You have your special abilities, which Fire Emblem honestly doesn't do to an extent. And it's always interesting trying to plan because sometimes you're mm-hmm. only allowed to have nine characters. Other times you're allowed to have eight. I had one where I had 10. I was like, really? Okay. So I'm, and then uh, there's the mental battles, which are like your grinding levels where you're trying to get more money, more EXP and everything. And I'm trying to level up my characters so I can keep going with the story, which I'm fine with. I've had to grind in other games. Like Awakening had those uh, Risen levels right, where right, you were right. grinding and I was fine. And then I found out that if you even just do a regular uh, special attack that doesn't do like damage or anything like uh, Sprint or Speed Up or Haste or whatever, um, you still get EXP. So even when my uh, my characters weren't in a place to attack, I would have them do one of those things so I could get like 4 or 5 EXP. And I love how they have the cap at 100. So it's you, you have that level. It's, okay, get to 100, you get to the next level. And I like that's That's a nice, simplistic thing. And then me and Tyler were talking about the characters we use. I stopped using Benedict because he's a buffer character, and I'm fine with that. But I'm more of a attack and defend kind of guy. And I don't mind having buffs, but I, I'm be more productive with another attacking character so when i got this other swordsman i replaced it with him and i like this guy it was a julio right yeah julio yeah yeah and like he's a really good he works well with sarah no he has the tp attacks which i can grant to another or take away from an opponent and he's got really high hp which is always helpful when the enemy's doing a lot of attack and there is a lot of variety so and I, again, I'm only six chapters into the game, so I haven't met everybody. And I, I know there was a lady from the demo that, uh, a weather witch or something like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Her. And I haven't gotten her yet, so I don't know if I'll be bringing her into the fold or who else will be there. So I do love the variety. It feels like Fire Emblem where you have like all these characters and you have to decide, okay, which ones do I feel can help me? Which one balances out my team? What abilities do they have that I that can work in my favor? And then I got to grind them up to my correct level. So <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it is a very, I, I, this is a de- the definition of an easy to learn, hard to master kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to as well just give props to, again, like the terrain. Again, they really emphasize regard to the height, like very similar to in the sky in a sense as well. But at, at least they in this game, they bring a much more step further. Because like, again, the fact that if you're an archer and you have the high ground, literally, you can shoot farther which i i gotta give props to that i really love that like it's over i have the high ground darn it i was gonna do that line <laughs> yeah the high ground is, is is super useful i i will say uh <laughs> the uh, the difficulty in this game todd when you had said you're more of an attack defend guy that's generally how i played too and i was having a hard time in those first three chapters i i played on hard because i played fire emblem like on hard so I assumed I was looking at a similar difficulty, but this is definitely it, a step up, I would say. Like you, you definitely have to, you have to really work 
to succeed, or you could grind. But the difficulty, I think, is excellent. I, I've read people who played on easy and thought it was the right amount of challenge. People who played on normal and have said it's the right amount of challenge. And I've played on hard, and I think it's absolutely hard. Yeah, I, I, I'm on normal because I just, I, I'm trying to get through the game because I got to review it. Uh, I did the level, the one right before you uh, go to the throne room in Glenbrook or Whiteholm. Uh, and you're having to get to the, the the one area, you know, like the escape map. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. That the reinforcements keep coming in. I accidentally forgot to forgot to save before the map, and uh, and so I'm playing this like my life depends on it, and I'm losing a few people here and there because of the reinforcements and the timing of it all. And I thought I had it banked because I had Sarah Noah and Roland who are my two best units outside of Anna, and I had them on one side and they're cleaning up. But then these reinforcements come in, and they're starting to attack my healer, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I gotta rush to get all my other units over there so they can have some backup. And it's just, it was, I was on normal, and I was struggling. And I lost one of my characters in, like, the first two turns just because they got blitzed. And I was like, that's not fair! So, I agree, it definitely has the, the right amount of difficulty, and I know it'll get tougher from here, which is why I'm fine with grinding, because I don't want to get wiped out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that the... It comes back to what I said about units and how each character has a specific role to fill. Oh, I don't know if it's like this on normal, but on hard, the enemies have more health than you do. So huh. sometimes I'll look at these battles and like they have more and like more straight up units than I do on the battlefield. They have more strength than I do. How am I ever going to beat this? And then after analyzing the map and figuring out choke points and figuring out how to get X high ground point and where to put Y character and what abilities will let me, you know, slow down or whittle away at the enemy, it leads to some extremely satisfying victories. I've won one fight, um, like, early in the game, you, you're, you're betrayed by somebody, and... The first time I did it, I got absolutely washed. Mm. And then the second time, I, I came back and I still lost, but I learned some things. And then the third time, I had finally honed this perfect strategy. And seeing it work the way it did, I, I won. I crushed the battle. And just the high that I rode from that <laughs> was something I hadn't experienced in a while. And I think it really is a testament to Square's ability to, to balance this game. I think Fire Emblem really struggles with difficulty. For example, at times. and I could, yeah, and I could see how you know a game like this, why strategy RPGs are hard to hone in that way. Uh, but this one really succeeds in that regard. Well, another key difference between Fire Emblem and uh, Triangle Strategy is that in those games, in Fire Emblem, if someone attacks you and you have the ability to, you can attack back, with the exception of like mages if they're on sword dudes and everything. So if you had like a character like Ike, you know, the best Fire Emblem character. You could have a whole map just be about him, hold everyone back, and he'll win. Versus in this game, where if they attack you, you don't attack back unless you have a special ability that allows you to. So that kind of evens things out, where you have to plan, because you know they're going to do damage to you, and you have to be in the right position to damage them. So it is that kind of a different thing, and that that can help with the difficulty. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up in, into the news statement really quick. So I... I guess we'll we'll conclude with what do you guys hope to see in the second half of the game? Where do you think it's headed, and what where, what do you kind of what, what do you think the game could be doing better as it goes forward? Uh, for me, fine. For me, because I have only and I need, I'm not even a third into the game technically. Um, my biggest complaint, and we didn't talk about graphics, so I'll just wrap, wrap that into here. Okay, okay. Um, 
I don't know why, but especially at the beginning, one of my I, I guess what you could say my eyes weren't used to everything. It felt a little blurry with the with the sprite animations and everything. I actually even turned off depth of field because it was it just made things look weird to me. I've gotten used to it now, so I don't mind it. I see the little details, like their eyes and how they shake their heads and all that, so it's all good. Um, my other really big complaint is the character stories. <laughs> I get so many dang new characters, and here I am set in my, my ways, and all of a sudden, I'm getting this juggler girl, and she can do this kind of trait, but like, do I really need that? Not really, so I leave her be, and then I get this <laughs> other character who's a smithy, and I'm like, Okay, I you know that's, that's nice, and he's like the Donald. Okay, he's literally said I I don't have much experience, but I have potential. And I'm like, oh great, another Donald character. That's exactly <laughs> what I need. Then I get this medic, and I like seeing them uh, like connect to Saranoa. Those are cool, and I like how it it shows Saranoa as a character that he would take in like just for lack of a better word these strays. But I kind of wish that we just got them as you know supporting characters like in your encampment like the smithy has a job that's his job and he's trying to do his best for saranoa to atone or the medic she wants to heal people so that uh you know she can help all and not just help some via her cutscene. and i like that but then it's like you get like five characters within five new characters within like two maps and all of a sudden you're thinking you're you're if you're really wanting to balance your team or you're trying to figure everything out you're like well, who do I do? And then you're sometimes wasting time trying to figure that out. And then Will told me that after at the uh, the level I'm about to do, there's like five more characters that are about to join your party. And I'm like, <laughs> it's too much. And Fire, Fire Emblem has this problem too, where they'll just like throw you extra characters. And at some point, you're like, I don't need them. I don't want them. I have my squad. And I wish it was a little more spaced out so that each addition felt important and that you should feel compelled to bring these people to the table. I don't feel that right now. Like, granted, yeah, that is definitely one a good criticism to bring in because, again, the fact that you have so much characters coming in, even like, even to the point of some of the beginning chapters, like, yeah, like, I got so many people right now, like, who do I bring in? Like, it's a good thing that as well, like, the maps themselves also show you, like, recommended units, like, who you should bring in case you want to, like, to make your your time easier but of course you don't have to listen to that recommendation so there's that so yeah that is definitely a, a fair criticism just the fact they flood you with uh, supporting characters even though like yeah i got my squad i don't need anybody else so yeah and i guess to my to my contribution is just like what i expect on the second half is just like uh, yeah as i said i think you pretty much nailed it on the head tyler like i i just want to know like are my choices gonna ha- like really have that heavy repercussion of like oh like who's gonna leave me who's gonna like yeah I, I cannot follow you anymore like I, that's I, the, I'm done enough I I can't I can't so like yeah I just want to see like that if there is that, that that when the shoe drops and like if things gonna be good for me or bad for me or whatever like just waiting for that heavy consequence that um, they always uh, advertise for yeah yeah I completely agree with that do you think. It, it is building toward, it does start really ramping up around chapter 10, at least in my path, right? Because we're all going to walk different paths, although from what you guys have said, I think we've walked pretty much the same path up to where Todd is now. Uh, I do want to, I'm curious to see how all of those decisions unfold, and I believe it will be a satisfying ending. My biggest complaint is that it, there are four endings to this game, and one of them is a quote-unquote 
like golden route. Right, right, right. Golden route, and for those who don't know what that means in JRPG terms, it's like the path where everybody gets along in the end, right? There's no, the sacrifices aren't really made. Balance, yeah, the balance. And things end on like this universally happy note. And it it sounds like, I, I don't know, weird almost to be like, I wish for a sad ending. But the game is is going for like a darker story, and I wish that it doubled down on that instead of having this option for a quote unquote superior superior ending. Plus, it has two more chapters that that golden route, so it really it will be kind of considered, I suppose, the canon ending if this game ever gets a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than that, it drives me crazy that they don't tell you that there is one. Like the only reason I know this is from like Google, you know, the, the Twitter like, mm-hmm. telling me that. Like, there are very specific things that you have to do to get this ending. And if people don't, like, look it up, you'll have a really hard time just stumbling upon it. So that was a little bit of a bummer to me. Although, it is a good excuse to play the game again afterwards, because it, it is a, an excellent game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely encourages you to, like, play a uh, play multiple playthroughs. And, of course, again, it also helps that it has a new game plus as well to help out with it. So, in case you want to just want to go for the endings, by, then by all means. And... Like, we're going through those hidden flags right there. Like, I think we could like, all expect when the, a game called Triangle Strategy and the Scares Conviction, like, you want to attain perfect balance of all three convictions in a sense. So I think that was, like, in, in my opinion, that was, like, yeah, you want to get that perfect balance as that quote-unquote universal good ending. So I don't know. That's just my take. Yeah. I will say this, and this is just something that I find hilarious about myself. I've always had the ability to come up with like story ideas from the most random of things. I came up with a new story idea because of the first two chapters of this game. Oh, oh. Because <laughs> I liked how they were doing the Frederica and Sarah Noah stuff in terms of the importance of the marriage and why it was going on and the, the, the speech by Lord Simon about why they're actually getting married and all that. And I'm like, you know, if you could pull the twist on that, it would be a really cool novel idea. And so I came up with one called The Choice of Thorns. And oh. I've already started to like flesh it out, and I'm like, why do I do this to myself? I'm never gonna write this. I'm not gonna write this like the next year or so. But I might as well take the time and like flesh out their characters and ideas. <laughs> and I've already got some fun stuff. And I'm just like, this is what happens to me when I get something I enjoy. I think of an idea based on what it is and what it isn't, and then I want to run with it. So that that gets my seal of approval. <laughs> Probably good enough for your next Kickstarter, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and actually, I did think about, hey, if I did art for this, I could do it in the style of Triangle Strategy. And I'm like, stop it, Todd! Stop it! <laughs> All right. So, uh, and I kid you not, right after Will said Kickstarter, my comic book artist just popped into a message and said he had a page for me. So, Will, can you do that more often? <laughs> All right. So, now that we are done with this Triangle Strategy chat, uh, oh, Tyler, we forgot about the most important thing. Oh, no. This is why you're the host. I know. Tyler, I'm surprised we didn't talk about the name of the game. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called Triangle Strategy? I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm Triangle not. Strategy, at this point, it's a fine name to me. Yeah. I, 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 it's not actually, but I'm so used to it that it's just like, yep, that's the name of the game. I do, <laughs> I do game. want to note one thing, and this is something that I think Scott brought to our attention. There is an article out there that says even the game dev team knows that it's a weird name. And I'm like, so you admit it. And then in the interview, one of the people says, you could tell when uh, a Western person is talking because they say, yeah, that sounds like a Japanese name. 
And I'm like, I, I never went that far. Okay, I just said it was a terrible name. It's you have scales of conviction. How does that not weigh? Get it on you that this should be the title? But I've never gone that far. Okay, I've never gone that far. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a triangle strategy. Like I yeah. can't even tell what it was in a board meeting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now that we're done with this, we do have some. We actually have news this week. Congrats. Uh, so we're gonna get right to it. So. It's time to go oh, oh, down the warp pipe. And first, Super Nintendo World. Yes, if you recall, and hopefully you do, Super Nintendo World is already up in uh, Universal Studios Japan, the USJ, not to be confused with the USJ from My Hero Academia. Uh, I was hoping to see if we'll react to that. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, but of course, due to the pandemic and everything else that's been going on, Fans have been wondering, when are we going to get Super Nintendo World in America? Now we know 2023. <sighs> yes, I know that's still a long time, but uh, it was Universal Studios Hollywood that confirmed that we will be getting it in 2023. And they were teasing a lot of the things that were coming, like exclusive merch and games and, ex and such and such. We don't know how much of what's in Japan is going to translate over to here. Isn't that always the case, Will? Uh, but hopefully, by the time it gets to 2023, we'll not just have the Mario area, but the Donkey Kong area, which is rumored to be coming to Japan soon, and maybe some other stuff. So, sadly, I won't be going to there, because I've never been that far out on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody, like, once that thing is, like, a pops up like every Nintendo fans gotta be swarming in from the Americas. Like, oh please, let me go to finally a, a legit Nintendo Land. Like, not just a Nintendo Store new here in New York, but a Nintendo Land of Mario, Donkey Kong, Pikmin. I mean, heck, or even I don't know, maybe Little Zelda. Who knows? Yeah. Like, it's definitely gonna bring that uh, wonder again. Like, yeah, now instead of going overseas, now we can actually go here in America. So, yeah, definitely good time for Nintendo Land in twenty twenty three. And of course, if it's coming into uh, to Hollywood, more than likely they'll come to Universal Studios Orlando eventually, which is the one that I will be going to because I got an ant down there. So, what about you, Tyler? Would you go to one of these if, when they open up? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, would be on the bucket list. Yeah, I would just want to see it. You know, because we always say like, oh, what would it be like if we were in this video game or that video game, and we we get like the items from our games, like I have the Master Sword and Shield and all that, <laughs> but you never really get to feel like you're there. But if I go to Super Nintendo World and I see a Peach's Castle and I get to actually actually drive a Mario Kart and everything, it will just like it'll be that nerd experience. You know? mm -hmm. Like like when you go to your first Comic Con, I remember mine still, and it was just like this jaw dropping moment of like all the art and the banners and the celebration of what I love. And that's the feeling I'm probably going to have if, if slash when I go to Super Nintendo World. So, I think, yeah, it's like the same way, like the first time you went to Disneyland in a sense. Yeah, or yeah, World. Yeah. I yeah. went to World. I never, I, again, the farthest west I've been is Kansas. <laughs> ah. And Kansas sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Yeah, my sister just had to go to college there. So, but again, Super, uh, sorry, Super, yeah, Super Nintendo World in uh, Universal Studios Hollywood coming in 2023. So, thumbs up for that. Next up, F-Zero. Yep. No, it's still not coming to Switch. Well, technically it is. Uh, F-Zero X, the N64 game, is, is now available on Nintendo Switch Online via the expansion pack. 
uh, adding a long line of games that have been coming out recently, including Earthbound and Majora's Mask and Banjo-Kazooie. And uh, many people are hoping and praying that this will be a sign of what <laughs> may come. But at this point, why? Why, why, why have hope? You know? <laughs> As Obi-Wan Kenobi said, it's over. We lost. So <laughs> it's like I, I'll I'll give it props. Like this thing is really making a case of of making me want to get the expansion pass. Like <laughs> again, it's F zero, and of course, I, as we talked from before, like the um, expansion, uh, the booster pass DLC for Mario Kart Eight Deluxe. So it really is starting to become definitely burning up its value now. So it's definitely getting up there. I'll, I'll give it that much. It's definitely getting up there to to make an argument to to make one buy it. Yeah, I love the Mario Kart stuff, so for me, it's already worth the expansion. But F Zero X is—it's a—it's a, a a very good ad. I will have to play it because I've never really played an F Zero game. I touched the original a few times, but uh, just so I can know what the series is. I saw something that blew my mind though about this game mm-hmm. on Twitter the other day, and I need to share it with you guys. Do you know why F Zero is called F Zero? No, I, I, honestly, I honestly don't know. I would figure it would be called. Uh, it was a riff off Formula One, obviously F one. Right. So it's a riff off Formula One. I yeah. have no idea. I never connected F one and yeah. F zero. Well, Formula Formula One is like. I cannot believe I never connected those lines. <laughs> yeah, well, Formula One is the like one of the fastest kinds of racing out there. You right. know the 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 low key the low gravity cars and everything, and then of course zero gravity, which is what the race cars in F zero are about. So F zero. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's literally it. It's not even actually that crazy, but the fact that it's so obvious and I had no idea. And judging by the replies, a lot of people had no idea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah, well, it, it happens to all of us, and I mean that honestly. You know the joke? Uh, I just flew in from New York, and boy, are my arms tired. It took yeah. me decades to get that joke. I'm like, why would your arms be tired if you flew? And I go, oh, because he was flapping. Uh. Also, uh, also, uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Well, duh, they're lemons. What else are you gonna do with them? And then it's like, no, lemons. Uh. Yeah, that that took me a couple decades too. So yeah, it, hap- it, it happens to all of us, and I'm the host. So, but it can, if it can happen to me, Tyler, it can happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I almost wish that we had Keith on here so that he could talk about F Zero, but sadly he is not. But I'm sure that he indeed has lost hope. He is, he's lost hope. He's lost hope. I mean, I I would too at this point because the Switch was the perfect one to bring back F Zero, and they even did that that one indie crew did Fast RMX. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And yeah, that yeah, was yeah. basically F Zero without calling it F Zero. So if they couldn't make that turn into F Zero, I don't know what our chances are at this point. So. Whatever, we'll just have, we shall endure. We shall endure. All right, this next story is definitely a case of you have way too much time on your hands. All right, in uh, gaming and in uh, certain electronics, OLED screens can have a thing called burn-in, okay? And that's when, if you play something for too long, the image that you are projecting onto the screen can get stuck on the screen in some kind of amount. Obviously, that ruins your viewing experience. So when Nintendo announced the Nintendo Switch OLED, uh, some people wondered, well, how long would it take for the burn-in to happen? Because if it takes not a lot of time, then why should I play with it? I'm like, that's that's a fair point. 
The answer is 3,600 hours. Some guy on a YouTube channel, obviously, turned his Switch, Nintendo Switch OLED on and kept a single image on it for 3,600 hours somehow. And only after 3,600 hours was there a slight case of burn-in. And I'm I'm doing the math on this because this is like bothering. Because again, this guy not only had a Nintendo Switch OLED to literally burn, he had 3,600 hours of which to do it with. Okay, so 3,600 hours divided by 24 hours in a day. He did this for 150 days, 150 <laughs> days straight, and there was only a slight amount of burn in on the Nintendo Switch OLED. So, so five months, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or the equivalent of one Skyrim playthrough. <laughs> Uh, Tell me like, I'm wrong. Tell me I'm sure, wrong. For sure, for, for sure, we're going to Skyrim playthrough. But again, like as I said, it's just like people have so much time. It's like, I granted, it is for the science route, like for science, and gotta know once, like how long if if it can happen, and like okay, props for you, like giving so much time to actually answer this question. Like, how long will Nintendo oh that switch have burning? And apparently it's about five months. This <laughs> is like Yeah. Five months straight. <laughs> like no time to rest. It's arg you could argue it's actually more if they didn't do the if they did pauses, but apparently mm-hmm. thirty six hundred hours straight. Yes. I mean yeah. okay, now we know the answer. Thank you for your contribution. <laughs> now let's <Yeah>. move on. <laughs> yeah, please. Like Tyler, can you believe people actually do this stuff just because like there's someone out there who does not have the Nintendo Switch that would have loved that OLED, but no, it was dedicated. It was given to science, and not even fun <laughs> science, like dumb science. <laughs> well, it, honestly, I thought burning was a myth because I remember my mom when I was a kid saying, "Remember to turn off the TV. You don't want to get burning." And I would always forget to turn off the TV, and I never got burning. So seeing that it's actually real, um, that that was you know, that was that was the most mind-blowing thing to me although i i knew it actually was real just i uh, has anybody ever experienced burning on any of their um consoles? actually unless i checked as i think my wii and my wii U definitely has like if you leave the wii or wii u screen on for a while you do see like that blue spot that burns in I, in my opinion in my on experience. the gamepad uh on, on on my tv screen back in the day okay yeah i don't know that's that's interesting i mean i guess that's that's the tv right that's not the console i don't think that would be the console mm. uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I I was I thought the test was cool. I always like to see random stats like that. Nintendo's products are known for their durability. And not, yeah. I'm not surprised that they passed that with flying colors. Uh, oh, and going back to the topic of burning, I knew about it because when I was younger, my mom always told me, "Todd, take the food off the stove. You don't want it to go burning." <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, and if it, if it was burning for too long, it'd be toast. <laughs> okay, we're done. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Uh, next up, we have something for you gamers out there who have maybe been a little bit hesitant to play one of the best-selling titles of 2021, Monster Hunter Rise. Because as of about right now, when you're listening to this, uh, there is a six-day demo, free demo, going on right now for Monster Hunter Rise on the eShop. You can download the game for free in full, and you'll have until March 17th to play it. And then should you decide to get it after your playthrough, you can transfer the data from your demo to the full version. So that's pretty cool. 
yeah, yeah. And basically, it's, it's more or less uh, Capcom preparing up for the, re- the eventual release of Monster Hunter Rise uh, Sunbreak, which is the, the massive DLC expansion, which um, also, in, in complement as well, they will be holding a presentation on the 15th, if I recall correctly. So yeah, we'll finally get, finally get some information on the uh, the new monsters, if any returning monsters, as well as like finally a uh, release date, hopefully in that summer or whenever the the release date is. Yeah. So like I I'm of the three. I am the one who did not get Monster Hunter Rise. I got Monster Hunter Stories too. Mm-mm-mm. But uh, if I did, if I was not so bogged down, I would probably try it out just to see because I've never played a true Monster Hunter game. I played Stories two, which is the more RPG style of it. But uh, if I didn't ha- have so much to do, I would probably try this out because I would at least want to see what it was like. Because you guys definitely were raving about it in a good way. I, um, I personally loved it. Like again, I'm already up to Monster Hunter rank uh, rank 100, so I I, I defeated like the the last um update monster right now. And of course, Capcom is still actually by the time we're recording, uh, they actually just released another update of a free um uh deals a mission of like another Lagambi. So like, they they're constantly updating with the game. So it's definitely that um evergreen kind of title. You you won't get tired of it if anything else. So yeah. All right. Uh, next up, okay. This is a story that honestly had me, me, my mind boggled. All right. It's about Metacritic. Okay. And naturally, if you if you don't recall, Metacritic is where they compile all the reviews of you know from the critics to the gamers and decide or like let you know what people are thinking about it. And like Rotten Tomatoes, you could take it or leave it however you want. The catch is that they also compile lists. And one of them is the publishers, like the gaming publishers, and how they rank based on the games that they are releasing as of late. And you'd swear that the top three would be Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo in a certain order. Right? Wrong. Because the uh, the latest ranking came out, and <laughs> Nintendo... <laughs> is number 14. <laughs> Do I really yeah. have to define how wrong that is, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> All right. And, I, and I'm trying to... Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I gotta look up another site. But, uh, yeah, it's 14. Out of all of them. And to be clear, we're, like, we're talking like all the publishers. Big ones, small ones, mobile ones. They even had like Humble Bundle on there. Uh... Yeah, I'm about to pull up the list. But yeah, Nintendo, of all the publishers, based on the Metacritic ratings, is 14th. How? <laughs> How? Yeah, you can't help but wonder, like, what is the criteria? Like, what what constitute as, like, the best publishers? Like, as I said, uh, prior podcast, like, you, you, the number one is Sony, as well as, like... I'm just curious, uh, where is Microsoft uh, ranked? They are number one. Wow. Micro- really? Yeah. Number Okay, let me just give you the top 10. Microsoft, number one. Sony, number two. And to be clear, there is a six-point difference, which in this case is actually huge, uh, between Microsoft and Sony. Microsoft is 8, 7. Sony's at 81. But below them is Humble Games. Below them is a company you might have heard of called Activision Blizzard. <laughs> oh, that, that's not timely at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, number five is Bethesda. I mean, I can't argue with that. Six is Capcom. Seven is mm. Bandai Namco. Eight is Sega. Nine is EA. Really? <laughs> really? 
Mm. Uh, 10 is 505 Games. 11 is Devolver, G- G- D- D- G- Devolver Digital. 12 is Square Enix. Nine, 13 is Dan Gan Entertainment. I bet some of you didn't even know Dan Gan is a publisher. And then it's Nintendo. Huh. Really? I will. So I don't. I don't know how they necessarily did this. I don't know if they just looked at all the titles and meta scores and added them up. If that was it, you know, you can't really dispute it. I will say Nintendo didn't. Besides Metroid Dread, like they weren't. They had a ton of great games, but there weren't a lot of Game of the Year titles coming out from Nintendo last year. I would contest that last year was an awesome year yeah. for Nintendo. I think yeah. they had a ton of really good games, and I think it, people will look back on it fondly. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm not getting all bent out of shape over this. I, I think, you know, if they're just looking at Metacritic scores, that is what it is. It doesn't really yeah. mean Nintendo's not good at publishing games anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird to me. Uh, and, and you're right, like, oh, and that was something they mentioned was that in 2020, Nintendo didn't have a lot of games that were 9 and above. And I'm like, that's fair, but at the very least, they were releasing a lot of quality first-party titles. Sure, they may not have breached the 90 percentile, but they were doing a lot more releases than Sony and Microsoft. And, oh, yes, but they had higher quality games. Maybe, from a certain from a certain point of view. Uh, but Nintendo's been killing it. Their sales have proven it. Pretty much, if I recall correctly, every major first-party game that came out last year was a million-seller, including WarioWare and Big Brain Academy. So, they're doing something right. So, while they may be 14th on that list, they're number one in our hearts. So, And much like Rotten Tomatoes, again, it's not the facts, it's just the opinions that are measured. Go and enjoy a game or a company for what you like or don't like. That's that's the golden rule, okay? Don't be in, don't be overly influenced. It's cool to know, but we don't agree with that. We we don't agree with that, right, gentlemen? <laughs> right, gentlemen? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the very least, like if I was to be completely objective, lowest number five. Like I could see like like Bethesda being above them in, in, in certain years, or Capcom. Like Capcom last year. I would put them top five because of their, their Monster Hunter releases. And I think they had another, oh yeah, the Greatest Attorney Chronicles. That was a good one. You know, they had quality releases last year, great sales. You know, I would be fine if they were above Nintendo last year. But 14 against some of those other publishers? No. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with you. 14th is extremely low, and it's shocking to see that that's the number next to Nintendo. Yeah. But ultimately, it's like we know the truth. You yeah. know, we know the truth. <laughs> we know the truth, man. It's all a conspiracy, okay? The switch is selling well. The others are barely out of the gate, and they're trying to disparage the big end. Yeah. That's actually a new voice for me. I actually kind of like that. <laughs> it's like conspiracy. All right, and finally, a, a topic that'll get Tyler fired up all over again: Advance Wars. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, we're going to be delicate. We're going to be delicate about this, I Tyler. I promise I will be delicate. You will be and delicate. Will also make my points. Which is all <laughs> I can ask. All right. As you know, there is a very big world event going on in the Ukraine. We send our love and hope to all of those who are having to endure this. That's why we did that Power of Positivity episode a few weeks back. Because of this, 
Nintendo and various other gaming companies around the world are doing their part to try and make their voices heard about the situation that is going on. And some of these developers are either halting, stopping, or refusing support for certain titles that are tied to Russia or even the Ukraine, depending on the, the situation of the title. Uh, the Stalker game, for for example, that was based in Ukraine, if, if I recall correctly, and that stopped production. It The next game is stopped production because of the events that are going on there. Uh, companies like Nintendo and others are actually stopping shipments to Russia to further hurt their economy via sanctions, and et cetera, et cetera. Nintendo, yesterday at the time of recording, noted that in, quote, in light of recent world events, we have made the decision to delay Advance Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp, which is really scheduled to release on Nintendo Switch on April 8th. Please stay tuned for updates on a new release date, end quote. So, yeah, that was definitely a little surprising, especially since we are literally a month away from, we were a month away from its release. Um, I was okay with it because of all the other game developers doing their part, but Tyler has a different opinion. Take it away, Tyler. Yeah, so my, you know, I one, I, I completely understand that this is a sensitive subject for a lot of people. Like, you know, people in my family have taken this, like, war. It's it's horrifying. It's heartbreaking. Like, I do Absolutely. not want to take away from that. <laughs> I don't see how Nintendo delaying this game, like, indefinitely helps anyone at all. Besides Nintendo maybe making more money off the game when eventually it, it does release. And and I'm not I'm not saying that Nintendo is even like wrong or bad for doing that, but if you look at Advanced Wars is rated E, right? It's not like this is Call of Duty. I remember when a Modern Warfare 2 came out and there was this level where you had to uh, raid an airport, right? You were terrorists and you were yeah, raiding an you played, airport. You played as a terrorist. Yeah, no Russian. Right, no Russian. Right, or you're yeah, playing yeah. as an American who's undercover and then you get shot at the end. They like find, they they know that you're an American. Anyway, doesn't matter. That is like that is a far more triggering thing than Advanced Wars. If you just watch the trailer for that game, it's like an upbeat Japanese anime game with like a cutesy minimalist art style that like it's a classic tale of good versus evil where good triumphs. Like I I'm not. If the goal here, like, my question is, what is Nintendo's goal here? And if, if the goal here is to not trigger people, I, I don't see how this game is, could be triggering in the slightest. But there would be a bunch of other ways to, to go about stopping that, right? You could do what Activision did during that Modern Warfare 2 game and put a warning before the chapter. Make it skippable, you know? Like, you could... You could, uh, you, there's one chapter where you fight, like, a Russian general, I think, and, like, I don't know if the game opens with, like, invade, I've never played it, but there's, the game opens with a neighboring country invading that's, you know, and it starts this war. But you could, you know, put a cutscene skip on there, you could do a hundred other things it, it, instead of just delaying the game. I think that Nintendo's delaying the game because people in Europe aren't going to want to buy a game called Advanced Wars when there's an actual war going I, I think that this is a sales-driven decision, and that is fine, but I don't... It, it drove me crazy seeing people praise Nintendo for being so, like, socially conscious here when we're, we're talking about Advanced Wars. Like, just look at the game. It is not a 
a triggering game, and it really, like, it's about sticking it to the Russians. I had told, like, you know, I know that, I think Captain America was made as, like, a World War II propaganda character. But right, right, right. In, the iconic, in every way. <laughs> yeah, there's the iconic picture, though, of him punching Adolf Hitler, and, like, that meant a lot to people. That was a significant, that's a piece of art that still resonates with all of us today. We think of Steve Rogers, we think he's a guy who stands up to the greatest evils. And I'm not saying advanced wars would make, you know, that same leap. But the idea is at least similar, right? Like, this is like good fighting evil. You're on the side of good in this game. You're never fighting for evil. I just, I don't, I don't, I, I completely disagree with the decision. And I, I, even more than that, I think that if they, it, they could release the game. And if people feel like it's not comfortable for them, like they start playing it and they feel uneasy, just offer a return system, right? Like this game, I think it's probably going to be a full price $60 game, but offer a return system. Let people swap it for a game of equal equal value if it's really that upsetting to them. I, I just, I, I completely disagree with this decision. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know. It's definitely interesting to think about why would they do this. Like, because again, as I said, there's definitely much more uh, better ways to support the cause, like be it like from charity events or like, or like again, as I said, like halting sales, which, it, like it's whatever you, like of your support is like yeah, definitely do what you can to help with these people who are suffering. And for for Nintendo's answer to delay this game in in the light of this event of of course of tragedy, it's I do agree there is that sense of like what is their main goal like is it because of of goodwill or is it just because of a PR stunt on, like as people will probably speculate it's definitely that like why is Nintendo doing this like they it's one it obviously it's a game it really shouldn't be like a one to one reflection of like real world tragedy events for sure but like what so it they really shouldn't there really wasn't really a good excuse to delay the game aside from like something like a really dire tragedy so it definitely is something to think about i mean i wouldn't necessarily i agree with the decision but at the same time it's like why it's definitely a question to ask why the biggest thing for me is that i kind of wish that it and i know this is going to sound bad I wish it wasn't so close to the release date. I mean, we've had plenty of games get delayed for all sorts of reasons, but you're a month out, and given the current climate and in regards to the conflict, we have no idea when this is going to end. Now, if you said that, you know, um, like, okay, the reason I was fine with this overall was because Nintendo took a similar stance with their Pokemon Presents. They announced the Pokemon Presents right before the conflict in Ukraine happened. And then they stopped promoting it, cold turkey, because they did not want this flooding the, the social media ways when it could be they could be talking about the conflict. And they would, they wanted people who... Well, did they say that, though? Yeah, like, they literally said that. Did they say, we don't want this flooding the conversation? Okay. Yes. I mean, that, that does make sense. I, I It would be tone deaf. Yeah. To, like, to, but... I do think that that's a little bit different than delaying a game indefinitely. And I still think that that Pokemon decision isn't, you know, it's one thing to be like, we're going to stop our marketing hype machine because it feels weird. And it's another to be like, we're going to delay this rated E game. Yeah. And and that's what, that's what I'm going for here is that it was one thing when they wanted to stop marketing one of their very chipper events because of the very dour events that was going on. We understood that. And I was actually very impressed by Nintendo for doing that. 
I kind of wish they had taken a similar approach, even though it might have hurt their sales to say like, yes, Advance Wars is still coming. But in light of the Ukraine conflict, we're not going to promote this war game as E-rated as it might be, because we're, we don't want this to, I, I don't want to say glorify, right. um, I, like I see romanticize, mean, uh, joy, joyfy, whatever you want to call it, a war. Because no matter what, it's in the name. It's right. a war, right, <laughs> and, right. and even though it's as cartoony as all get out, especially with the re with the remake re- graphics, you're, you're technically still killing people, right? Yeah. Uh, like yeah, destroying yeah, yeah. machines and everything, and it's still a conflict where there are casualties. And I can understand Nintendo wanting to get away from that. The problem is that because this is a real world conflict, which they fully acknowledge, um, we don't know when this is going to end. Like a lot of people were hoping it would be over by now, but it isn't. And and look, thinking of this from the business perspective, and and solely from that in this case, um, when would they release it? That's better because they can't release it later in April. That's when Nintendo Switch Sports comes out. Uh, I don't recall what's May. What's in May? There's something in May. Uh, um, it doesn't matter. There, I think there's something in May. Live June Live it, comes out or Live Live comes out. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. But then, okay, then maybe they put it in May. But then June is stacked because you got Strikers and Fire Emblem Hopes, or uh, Warriors Hopes. And after that, and then the farther you push it, the less likely people are going to get it because there's only so long you can delay a game before they realize, oh yeah, that game is finally coming out. So at best, you know, they can put it out in May and, and avoid certain things. But that's still a risk because this is a war and you never know when this is going to end. So it's and then we acknowledge it's a very complicated decision. We have, I have no doubt, at least, that Nintendo heavily talked about this eternally with their, with the heads of their departments, and and with the Advance Wars team to decide what they wanted to do. And they're they're of course closer to this than we are, like in, like in terms of ge- geography <laughs> and like what what is actually happening. Um, so maybe it, it hits harder for them, knowing that it's literally their neighbors right across the the sea. And they're like, we, we we don't want this to be out in the world with this going on with Russia and Ukraine. And I'm fine with that. But there are ways that this could have been done without cold turkey delaying it indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it all, at, to be clear, it was their decision. We have to respect it no matter what. Exactly. There's not, not as much as I wish I could push a button that makes it release anyway. Yeah. It's it's done. It's not coming. Tyler out. Tyler is the meme. Tyler's the meme right now with the two buttons. <laughs> it's like release it anyway despite the war or delay it even though it's not really a, a war game and like Tyler's like sweating right now. <laughs> All right. Ugh. Of course what the real meme that Tyler would want is eject Ben Simmons from his seat courtside or really eject Ben Simmons from his seat courtside. <laughs> I just, just want to say even though we're still recording this podcast really helped. I mean, I was so angry coming into this. Now I'm happy again. I'm calm. Yeah. It, I, I'm this has been great. Yeah, you're welcome. I've, I've had a hard week myself. I was not lying about the whole being overloaded with work and being away, not being able to play Triangle Strategy. And that's why I always look forward to the Nintendo Entertainment mm-hmm. Podcast because it is one of my catharsis, even more than my shows And at times because I get to talk with you. I get to have fun. I get to boss you guys around like you know you deserve. And... That's right. Host. Right. right. Yes. All right. And uh, so with that, we are going to head into our main event because, hey, it's Mario Day at the time of this recording. 
And even though you'll be listening to it after Mario Day, we knew that we had to talk Mario. But what? What do we talk about? Because we've talked about Mario in the past. We've talked about Mario titles in the past. We have talked about things we liked and didn't like about Mario in the past, including breakdowns of games like Odyssey and Sunshine and Galaxy. And we've listed our favorite titles. So what what, what do we want to do for Mario Day? And Tyler, who also came up with the triangle strategy discussion, so thank you, Tyler, uh, came up with a great idea to talk about not just Mario, but the pillars of the Mario franchise. To talk about where they're at right now, where they can improve, and where we can see them going. So we'll be doing this in a new meeting of the NEP Secret Society. All right, I call this meeting to order. Tyler, since it's, again, your idea, why don't you take the lead? Yes, so we're looking at each pillar of Mario, and we're going to discuss whether we think it's trending upwards, staying the same, or trending downwards. And let's just jump right into probably the heaviest hitter, the 3D platformer genre. Mario Odyssey was the last 3D platformer we've received, uh, and it, it, it definitely... Game of the Year candidate, very, very beloved, pretty much universal praise. Uh, but we haven't heard much about what's coming out next. So, Todd, I guess we'll start with you. Do you think 3D Mario is trending upwards, trending downwards, or staying the same in terms of overall direction? Do you like the Odyssey direction? Where do you think the next game is going to look like? Well, I think you're actually skipping a key part here, which is we did have an addition game oh, via Bowser's Fury. Point. I did skip that. Yes, yes. you did. And that's why I'm the host, to remind you of your failures. <laughs> so, but no, uh, between Odyssey and Bowser's Fury, which I'll admit I did not play, but Mario, uh, sorry, Mario, uh, Tyler and Will, I wish I said Wario there, um, did play it. They enjoyed it. It was a different kind of feel. I think it's actually trending upwards, not just because of Odyssey and Bowser's Fury, but because we haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. Like, think about it. When Odyssey was first, first, first teased in the original, you know, what's coming to, what, what's the next system teaser from a long, long time ago, um, we were wondering, wait a minute, is that like a remake of a title? That, or like, is that is that new? And then Odyssey was revealed, we're like, this could be something cool. And then it came out and it was absolutely cool. Game of the Year contender and sometimes a winner. And I think they realized that between that and technically Bowser's Fury, that they need to take the time for these bigger 3D, 3, I'm going to call it 3D World, 3D World titles so that they can have that unique experience, especially after the massively awesome and beloved reception to Odyssey. Because this was huge. This was a huge jump, departure, whatever you want to call it. They went much deeper, much bigger, much more fun, much more creative. The Jump Up Superstar was, was amazing. That's going to be eternal. And, uh, I, I see it as upwards because if they were to go downwards after Odyssey and Bowser's Fury, we'd, we'd tell them. <laughs> we'd tell them so fast. Like, you just had a hit. How do you mess that up? So, uh, yeah, I, I think upwards for now because they haven't given us a reason between these last two games to think otherwise. Yeah, that's that's a reasonable take. I, I think that after we played Bowser's Fury, which is funny because I honestly completely forgot about that somehow, <laughs> that, that does put me on the trending up direction because I liked Mario Odyssey, but I didn't completely 
really love it. Um, Bowser's Fury, to me, even though it was shorter, was actually my preferred Mario experience. Mm. And I think that that Breath of the Wild kind of open world, no loading screens, no like transitions to new, you know, getting in the Odyssey and flying off to another place. I think that that singular, like, smooth experience is an incredible direction for Mario to go. And I also think that Mario Odyssey, as as excellent as of a game as it was, there's definitely room to improve in terms of platforming challenges and cutting down on the number of moons. I prefer my 3D Mario games to be platform-focused, and I think Bowser's Fury actually was more platform-focused mm. than Odyssey was. So I'm going to go slending tricks slending trending slightly up uh at the same time 3d mario is amazing right like it's hard to trend up when you're 3d mario these games are all 9 out of 10 10 out of 10. Uh, for sure for sure it's like when again mario has always been known for that for the platformer genre and like as i said with bowser's fury odyssey all these games throughout this track record it's always been just it's Mario platform. It, it's like peanut butter and jelly. It just goes well together. And like with uh, with uh, Bowser's Fury, as you said, like when we wrote the review, it was just like that was indeed the next evolution of Mario. I mean, sure, it was small in size. It was just a DLC pack in a sense, but it was so great. And again, a window of what is to come for for Mario in that genre is just like. It just works. It just works again. And I think we are approaching. I feel like it, it, industry as a whole is that we are approaching that sense of that open world genre. Of course, like I begin to see Odin Ring and all that. Like the fact that you can go anywhere or like with the, the cat shines, like anywhere you go, no loading screens, like tackle of them however you want it to be. Like it's just. It just really works, and Nintendo definitely found something great with uh, Bowser's Fury. So, I'm pretty much in the same same respects. Again, like you, you cannot really go wrong with with Mario and pla- and 3D platforms. It it is still will go up, and I just wonder how they're gonna continue on after that. So yes, also trending up for me. All right, let's spin it, and we'll skip 2D. We'll end with 2D. We'll bookend it with the 3D and the 2D. Let's go to Mario Party because to me, oh. Mario Party is trending way up i we didn't put this in the news but there was a report a a youtube ad question about whether or not you would buy dlc for which Mm -hmm. nintendo games and super mario party was up there along with three other games that already do have dlc so i think it's highly likely that we're going to get mario party superstars uh dlc and to me superstars was the second best mario party game ever made only thing it was lacking was more boards uh, and a better character selection but it's a delightful return to form for the series it sold incredibly well nintendo heard loud and clear that people love old mario party and i expect them to continue kind of reviving the series dlc for superstars is all i need yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty much in the same respects as well. Like, they, they finally realized, like, no, we don't want gimmicks. We don't want, oh, the, the day and night moon cycle. We don't want uh, driving in a car with, with the rest of my characters and going against Bowser. No, we want classic Mario Party, like, up to five. Like, that was pretty much where I, 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 I draw the line there. It's just like, yeah, that was perfect. And the fact that with, uh, yeah, Superstars, just bring back the classics, reviving it, and just giving us a fresh coat of paint, 
like with Coney Island, with all these classic games, snowboard, it's just like, yeah, this is great. Exactly what we wanted. Now just add a bit more, like with uh, yeah, Western World, all these different maps, like the, the duos is just like, yeah, this is the perfect. This is what we want. So I'm just really glad that like, they finally realized that mistake. Like, oh, okay, I get it. We're sorry. And now having superstars just bring back that party jello which we we all thought was dead is now like re- revitalized now so yeah i i'm in i'm in agreement as well it's definitely tre- revitalizing and trending up upwards in the in the party genre i'll say upward but tentatively because as we all like to note Mario Party was trending upward for the longest time in the in the early days, especially with two and three, and then slowly but surely it started to go down a hill. Like I still remember, I think it was Mario Party no no not nine like seven where I had like, right, the, mic- right, the microphone right. games, and I was like that was a cool in concept idea, but it didn't really work. And then like they did like the top one hundred, which just felt hollow, and so on and so forth. Then they did Super Mario Party, which is great, and Superstars, which was fine. And, but they they ha- they are on a slippery slope. There is a good way to do Mario Party, and there is a bad way to do Mario Party. So while it is trajectorying upwards, it could <laughs> it could stop. It could come to a sudden stop at any moment. So let's hope that they keep the trend going. I mean, never forget Paper Mario. That's a great point, and we can jump right into Mario RPGs now. There you go. I oh, think they are trending down. Firmly, despite liking Origami King, uh, the uh, oh my gosh, Alpha Dream, Alpha Dream being uh, out of business and just having no news on a new Mario and Luigi game, in addition to the lack of traditional Paper Mario, it it's bizarre to me that there's no traditional Mario RPGs on Switch. I will say Kingdom Battle is awesome. That definitely counts as a Mario RPG, even though it's third party. Uh, but it 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 doesn't have that same punch to me that those classic Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, Partners in Time, Bowser's Inside Story, Dream Team, since those days we've seen a real decline in Mario RPGs. Yeah. I'll go last. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, I'm, I, you pretty much nailed it on the head. Like, like Thousand Year Door, we all, again, we, we're beating a dead horse here, but like again, we always revered like Thousand Year Door and even Super Paper Mario were pretty much the last great Paper Mario games to become from Nintendo. And since then, it's just like, it just never was the same again. It's like, it went went on for a new, it, like, I want to have a dream to be something even better, not like this. And it just didn't stick with the fans like no this is not what we want we want classic rpg we want that stage theme again we want the the theater but no you had to go somewhere different it's just like no like thousand new door will always be revered as that last great rpg like just because again it was an old two uh super mario uh legend of the seven stars it's like that was it. That was the perfect um, Super Mario RPG. And since then, it's just like ever since Thousand Year Door, it's just like it just wasn't the same. So I, I'm, I, I, I know I'm, I'm pretty much being a, a broken record here. But again, like it just seems like unless they understand what what made Thousand Year Door or even Super Paper Mario was so great as an RPG, yeah, like don't go too far off the formula. It's just there is a reason why it's been revered as a kind of classic since. So yeah, I'm pretty much in consensus as well. It's just like the RPG genre, unless they really go back to its roots, it's gonna continue trending downward. 
Yeah, I've made my uh, <laughs> my thoughts on this completely clear over the years. This is one of those things where Nintendo baffles me in their terrible decision making. Because the original... Okay, let's go back. Super Mario RPG was an experiment. There's no doubt about it. Okay? It was absolutely an experiment, and that was fine. Then they did the spiritual successor because of what was going on with you know Squaresoft turned Square Enix and blah, blah, blah. And it was a hit. It was awesome. It was unique. It was different, not unlike many other Mario games in the past and in the future. And they were like, okay, okay, let, let's let's build upon this. And then they did Thousand Year Door, one of the best RPGs ever. I know you like the original, Tyler. I like the original too. That's fine. They're both great. They're both great. Uh, then there was Super Paper Mario. Different. It worked with the Wii. I wasn't too mad about it. But then after that was Sick Sticker Star, a game that I couldn't even try to finish because I was just, I was totally over it. And then uh, Paper Jam and uh, uh, some of these other ones that were like, oh, yeah, Paper Mario is here, but it's not. And then Color Splash and Origami King. The fans have been begging for years for them to go back to what made Thousand Year Door great. And the reason we didn't, and as it pains me to say this, is Miyamoto. Miyamoto said, no, you can't have it the same game over and over again. Yeah, you can. If the game is good, which you would know Miyamoto, because what's the difference between all the other 2D Mario games out there? Different power-ups, slightly different story, completely new levels, but it's still the same Mario. But with this, it's like, no, we can't have the RPG elements, even though that's what made it great. Oh, we can't have the companion characters, even though that's what made it great. We can't have this deep of a... Okay, it's technically Origami King. I know you told me, Tyler, it had a deep story, especially with the Bob-omb. But... Overall, like the story got sacrificed as well. And it just is baffling, especially since Thousand Year Door really sold well on the GameCube. It sold millions of copies. And Sticker Star did not. And Color Splash definitely did not. And yet, instead of going back to what made it work, they didn't. They just, they stopped. And it hurts. And until we get either a, and I'm not saying I want this, but like a Thousand Year Door remaster or a sequel... There is no way it's not going to keep going downwards because they keep tripping over their own feet because of a producer now. Remember, we talked about the producer during Origami King who refuses to bend, even though the fans are what make the sales. And it it hurts because I loved those games and I want those games back. If you told me... What was that? (laughs) No, no, no. I agree. I agree. I heard heard like a woodpecker. I'm just like, what the heck was that? Um, If you told me tomorrow that there was going to be a new Paper Mario RPG game. I would buy it without needing to see the trailer, no the story, anything. As long as you told me that it was a true Mario RPG, like Paper, or Paper Mario RPG, I would buy it, no reservations. But if you told me that, hey, there's another in the Paper Mario line coming out, I'm going to wait. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure that it's what I hope it is or think that it might be. And if it's not, I ain't buying it. Because I've been burned before, and I ain't interested in that again. Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe that it's possible, like, given how low we are at the Mario RPG spot now, without traditional Paper Mario, it can get better if we see the revival of the Mario and Luigi series. But there's just something special about those Paper Mario games that is lost in that Nintendo's completely misguided belief that having too much outside-the-box character design and writing is somehow bad for 
the Mario series. Like I, that, that idea that it's bad for branding, which is, I think what we, what uh, the producer said coming yeah. out during Origami Kings. Right. right, 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 right. Was, it just, it doesn't make, does not make any sense to me. Next. Yes. We can jump into the Mario sports franchise. Oh. And I, I put Mario Kart separate in the discord but let's put that in with the okay, sports okay. franchises will why don't you kick us off oh man i i personally think that is actually trending upwards with recently because with the recent announcement of battle league we we all thought that they were now gonna bring strikers back like yeah strikers that attitude era mario game which nobody expected but it just did so well and like now they're bringing back that as battle league with next level games at the helm is like okay they're they're just continuing upwards like okay they're bringing this back great 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 now of course naturally with the whole uh booster pass with mario kart 8 deluxe dlc like a whole year like or is it like yeah 15 months something like that like a whole year of dlc for that game is like jeez i mean of course like it's still the top number one switch game ever and like racing games sure golf game i mean they they stumbled a little bit but they learned something tennis game yeah stumbled but learned something but it's just one thing that has always been interesting about mario sports games like it does well sometimes and it also doesn't do well but they at least they learn so they actually have show signs of improvement and now with the recent battle league and like now they actually learn some of the lessons of like what works and what doesn't i think we say to say that nintendo and uh, mario sports can actually does have a, a fairly bright future so i say trending upward I'll say upward because they've done a lot of focusing in their more recent entries. Um, they were actually following the path of Mario Party where they were going downwards by far. Like I remember, remember the 3DS titles, Superstars? Oh, Mario yeah, yeah, Sports yeah, Superstars, yeah, yeah. where they're just like, hey, let's just throw all these games together. Surely it'll be good. Uh, no. Um, but then they did Aces, which I know wasn't the best, but it was at least a step in the right direction. Mario uh, Golf Super Rush was the same way. Um, and now we got Strikers coming back. I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, Mario, what was it, base, Superstar Baseball? Uh, yeah. Oh, Mario Baseball, yeah. I, I that, like I that, that game. I Me like too. that game on the GameCube. So if we could get something like that coming back, you know, keep it separate, but make each one quality, which I think Battle Strikers is going to be. Um, keep it quality. Keep it right. Make it fun. Make sure the online is good. Like, that has to be the most important thing mm-hmm. outside of, you know, get the, the standard gameplay loop. Uh, and make sure it's robust with content, and then the free updates. I think that was one of the best things about uh, mm. Aces and, and Super Rush, even though I didn't play them, was that they kept doing updates, they kept trying to balance things and fix things and add new characters. They think they added a story mode in Aces in a free update. So, you know, keep doing that. Make sure we have as much content at the launch, but then, not unlike Mar- Nintendo Switch Sports, make sure that there's stuff to come so that people keep coming back to play. So, yeah, upward... Yeah. But again, tentative because all it takes is one bad one bad title and they're screwed. It, it's tight because if you you know without Mario Kart, I would say it's trending slightly upwards. Even though Aces was a very flawed game, I think it was an improvement over Power, not Power Tennis, over the whatever the one was on the Wii U. I can't remember its name because it was so bad. Uh, and Mario Golf definitely a disappointment for me, but. Hey, at least we got a new Mario Golf game on a home console. Sure. The Strikers element is huge because I have full confidence that Next Level will knock that out of the park. And the Mario Kart DLC to me is 
awesome. So I would say trending slightly up as well, but I could see an argument for trending down given that Aces and Mario Golf were only so-so titles, right, particularly right, right, Aces. Right. I think Mario Golf was even, maybe even more subpar. Uh, and then finally, let's go with 2D Mario. Trending oh. upwards or downwards? We have not gotten a new 2D Mario game in a long time, so I'll just start. I think it's trending downwards. Nintendo has not shown a lot of creativity in in their recent 2D Mario outings. They haven't announced a new game, I think, because they're Nintendo and they're always looking for that creative new angle. And I'm just not totally sure what that angle is, right? They tried the coins thing in New Super Mario Bros. 2 on the 3DS, and that game was probably the worst 2D Mario game ever. They had the, uh, the you know, they, they brought back the, the, I guess the world map came back in some other games, but the Super uh, Mario World-styled world map in Wii U with some cool new power-ups, and that game was solid, but not tremendous. I, I think that We'll see a new 2D Mario game at some point soon, maybe even at E3 this year. But I don't know if it still has that same punch. I think 3D Mario is clearly the bigger right, one right, right. Time. I yeah. think I, what I would like, and I don't know what we'll get, is um, I would like a 2D Mario title that was along the, the innovation and scope of Odyssey. Obviously, it would still be uh, 2D and all that, but do something that kind of revolutionizes it because and again this is why i thought miyamoto's comments on paper mario was so odd is that you know 2d mario doesn't really change it just gets a little bit more creative in terms of like the power of mario even super or mario maker was a step in the right direction oh yeah yeah, okay but that's just that's a that's if you really think about it, it's not exactly a mario game that's uh how much can i screw with people kind of way in terms of the levels that they make and then upload online just to torture them you know we, we all know that one meme of the mario going through that insane level that takes like the infinite amount of precision to make and you're like you're evil for making that level you know that was cool and i'm glad they made Mar super mario maker 2 it sold huge on the switch but that's not innovation that's just putting the game design in the gamer's hands which is fine that was an option and you did it well but we definitely need something that truly re-sparks the love of the 2D genre, not unlike what Odyssey did for the 3D genre. Because I know a lot of people liked Super Mario 3D World. It was basic. You had you had Cat Mario, you had the... the, the I love 3D World. I liked <laughs> it too! I liked it too, but it was just about cats and berries. Like the, that... the, the level design, though, and the amount of ideas that they throw yeah. at you in that game... It's still felt your, basic. Your point is well taken, though. You're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an update, but it wasn't the best. Like, uh, wasn't it you who said Super Mario 3D Land? Was that yes. you? All right, like like that was an innovation because I was using the 3D element of the 3DS to make something special, and it absolutely worked. And then 3D World was kind of a, a side step up, but it wasn't grand. And then Mario Maker was a completely different thing entirely. So I think they need to to stop going downhill or to stagnate entirely. They need something that is on the innovation level. Of Odyssey, whatever that may be. I honestly can say I do not have an idea for this as a yet because I don't think about it. But if they were to do something to re reignite the love of 2D Mario, like Odyssey has for 3D Mario, that would be huge. Yeah, I'm pretty much in consensus as well because, like, that's pretty much the last thing. Like with the Wii, the um, the Wii game, or even just the Wii U game of it, is just like, okay, they had a. Uh, 
what was that bunny character then? I, I forgot the name, but uh, like that. And of course, the whole age of Luigi with that uh, DLC as a standalone game. I mean, yeah. okay, you have Luigi and all yeah, that. Lu- well. Luigi U. Yeah, Luigi U and Pop. Yeah, that bunny character is just like, okay, but what else? Like, and granted, again, the 2D genre is definitely that. Like I, I can't imagine what was the tr- like imagine the trouble like what it be because again the two D genre is like it, it, it we come a long way since like the whole uh pencil paper uh, design back in the day for for like back in the NAS and like now like how can you continue on with like really freshen up that those ideas of the two D genre like oh another hidden path here a star coin there uh, like red coin challenges here and spot all that like like. We we come from so many years for, with this genre. Is like I, I can understand why Nintendo is probably having going have some difficulty making a, a truly unique two D game now since because like how, what else can you do aside from like yeah new power ups a new gimmick here and there and all that so like if they can willing if can they really do try to improve the two D genre like with like they with the three um, D with Odyssey like I can only imagine like. Some aside from like four player, they try to do things with the whole uh, Mario thirty five and thirty five uh, Mario Battle Royale, but that thing just didn't work out at all, in my opinion. So, as with the two D genres, like what can they do? Like un- unless they can really like I don't know, really pull something out from the left field. Like I don't know, like have Yoshi as a character, not just riding Yoshi, actually use Yoshi or hack even um the other characters like Daisy or. Um, Birdo, or all these different other characters. Oh, heck, even bring in Wario as well as, as in, a, in a 2D game. That would be something. So, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of ideas that could possibly delve in with the mix of 2D genre, but as way right now, I can see it is definitely is that they don't know what to do with it unless it is something really left field. So, I'm, I'm also in agreement with, with Todd. It's kind of going a little bit downward. Tyler? Oh, sorry. I, I already answered this one. You can edit that out. That's fine. I was just like, if, are, are we are we done? Is that isn't yes, that all the pillars? That, <laughs> that is all the pillars. And just in time, because it, with that, we are ending this episode of the Nintendo Entertainment Podcast. Tyler. Ooh, did we have a poll question last week? Um, I'm pulling it up now to check. I think uh, the, the Pokemon. I think it was. Oh yeah, it was it was who you? I think was it was that it? Was that who, Was it? I don't think it was Starter Squad. Was it? It maybe it was, but it doesn't appear to. Okay, be... maybe, maybe we took a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably yeah. that. Yeah, man. That's. I'm gonna say we took a break. Yeah, I, and I'm fine with taking a break this week because you know I'm not sure what, what question to ask for Mario Day. So, uh, do let us know, however, what you have been enjoying in terms of triangle strategy. Who are your favorite characters? The ones you rely on in battle. What paths have you been taking with the game? Let us know. We'll name drop you next week on the show. And let us know what you think about Super Nintendo World. Would you go to it if it, when it comes to Hollywood? Uh, US or Universal Studios Hollywood in 2023? Uh, are you going to try F-Zero out on the expansion pack? Uh, will you try out the Monster Hunter Rise demo? And what do you think about the Advance Wars situation? And where are your thoughts? Where are you? on the Mario Pillars debate. What ones do you think are trending? Which ones do you think are declining? What innovations does the Mario franchise need across all of its many pillars? Let us know in the comments below. So, for Tellius Tyler and Wario, well, I am Triforce Tyler. Ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time. We are not at Eliza. We have made it to the end of the level. So, raise the flag. (laughs) 